0: We saw your B Good Baker running by again the other day. Says I to old Mister Brennan. Ah yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still, and she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's B Good bread. Only sixty calories a slice. Sixty calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. Sixty calories a slice, and high in fibre, whatever way you slice it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's today's bread today. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby Podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald.
1: I'm, I'm conscious I don't want to climb too hard into this Irish team. They've had a bad day out and it still took the last kick of the game and a pretty poorly managed last two minutes to beat them. So it's the same thing as the New Zealand game but I think you know, you'd be, you would be a little bit concerned about in the big ones, what, what are they thinking? Are, are, you know What's the kind of introspection like this week?
0: And I think, by the way, uh, if that meeting was pretty tough on the players... I think the coaching staff will need to have a real look at themselves as well. Every week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: A warning about today's podcast it contains topics that some people may find distressing. Shot at 16, interned at 19, and dead at 64. GA legend Philly McMahon on his inspiration, his dad. Fall over! Dublin are the history makers! It's taken them two! And Dublin are still the champions! It's six in a row! Dublin, arguably the greatest football group ever to play this game. The story of how Philly McMahon became an All Ireland champion eight times is more than just that of hard work and determination. His life and story began with his father, Phil. A man who, at the age of 16, was shot by British soldiers in his home of West Belfast.
1: I think there was a sniper on Davis Flats shooting down at the Brits. And then there was a volley of shots aimed down towards where he was with some friends. He got shot in the stomach. He looked down and his whole stomach was hanging out. and when he was touching go, yeah.
2: Dublin would become his father's adopted home and where Philly would begin his extraordinary sporting career in the heart of Ballymun.
1: There was opportunity to play sport in Ballymun as much as there was opportunity to go a different direction in terms of the way my brother went.
2: I'm Fiona Sheehan and today on the Indo-Daily I'm joined by Dubs legend and Irish independent columnist Philly McMahon to look at the highs and lows in his life and see how they shaped him into an athlete, an activist and a proud Ballymun man. Tell me about growing up in Ballymun.
1: What did it mean to you? When I grew up in Ballymun, it was a, a community full of energy. It's very hard to explain, but an energy that, it's just like if you imagine your avenue that you live on or your your housing state that you live on and just flood the streets with people. That's what it was like because everybody was living on top of each other, because it was just full of people. I had a focal point as a shopping centre, you had the four-story flats, the eight-story flats, tower blocks. And it was just always buzzing. That brings its own sense of community. Everybody
2: knows everybody else then as a result. Yeah, it
1: does. But I, I also think the adversity, the stigma that the community got because of its issues, probably tightened that community spirit, tightened that culture. That everybody speaks about that comes from Ballymun. That you know, we knew each other, we supported each other. You know, you could just walk five steps across your hall door, you're into your neighbour's house, and you'd have no problem walking in and out of each other's houses and stuff like that. It was, it was that special. You know, there are the little things that we're talking about that you probably wouldn't get if we lived in a normal housing estate. You'd probably knock into your next door neighbour's, but like when I lived in the flat, there was a balcony basically between us and our neighbours and we just walked straight across. Or if my mum was in work and I came home from school and I was locked out of the house or whatever, I'd just go upstairs to her friend, chill out in horse sitting room until she came home. Those are the things that were just little small things, maybe to most people, but like when you look back, they were special things. What drew you towards the football? Because there is a great
2: sporting heritage in in Ballymone. There's fantastic uh, soccer clubs, there's fantastic boxing clubs there. What was
1: it about the GA and Gaelic football that that attracted you? There's this thing in working-class communities that with the adversity that young people have, they they kind of have that probably resilience or toughness to get to the higher level maybe of of their sport. And we've been very lucky in Ballymone to have such good sporting role models. And I suppose for me... I picked up football because, first of all, I wanted to see what my brother was doing on the blocks. That was my way of itching down towards him and the cool kids, the older kids. He was seven years older than me. And there was opportunity to play sport in Ballymun, as much as there was opportunity to go different direction in terms of the way my brother went, you know. But like in the summertime, the flats, there was a big, massive field. And in that field, we used to have a, a tournament. And that was the thing you looked forward to every year. Seven so a so tournament in soccer. In Street, there used to be a, a, a tournament where all the different parts of Ballymore played against each other. And it was just, it was an incredible buzz. So when we played Street League, it was actually, we played lateral because we played, the goals were actually the, the, the entrance to the blocks. And then that's probably one of the reasons why we had so many good people at, that were good at ball sports, Horland, camogie whatever it may be, football, soccer, like because you had the flats to kick the ball against, you know. Like we'd sheds and we used to kick the ball off the sheds as a target. We used to dribble the ball around cars because now the cars weren't driving through our stack. But the car park where you know, where you if you had a car back then you you parked it in the front of the flats. But that's where we played football. So Sometimes it was easier to play football lateral than it was to go get the back and play on a, f- a normal football pitch. But they this, the skills and the motor development we gained from that probably passed into us playing for whatever club we did. So I played for Satanta in Horland, I played for Ballyman Kickhams, obviously played for Ballyman United, um, done boxing in St Pappens and as I got older in, in life I, I done MMA. There's There's a lot of really good clubs in the area. And I think the clubs understand how much they do for the area and the kids. And, and so, did, so does the area you know what these clubs do for, for, the, for the next generation of young Ballymore people. Did your dad inspire or influence you towards the, towards the GAA, do you think? Not necessarily the GAA. He pushed me towards sport. So he would have brought me to play in soccer. He would have brought me down to Fairview to play for Belvedere. He would have constantly told me to get out and practice, uh, especially uh, for some reason. He just loved me practicing my headers. <laughs> He knew that when I was playing sport, I wasn't getting up to mischief on the blocks or or misbehaving or getting involved in antisocial behaviour. So I didn't realise my dad played much sport till he was very ill and and some of his friends brought photographs when they were younger down and I used to call him a spoofer when he was saying he played Gaelic football and stuff like that. He was just saying that because I played it, you know what I mean? But he did, he played a bit, but his life is different, you know. Tell us about where he was from then, where did he play so my dad was from Lenedale in West Belfast, not far from Caseman Park. So just from from Andytown, it would have been a nationalist enclave. Him and his brothers were sent down to study in Blackrock College, and got, he got kicked out. <laughs> so uh, so that didn't work for him, and yeah, he went back up to the north. And you know, in terms of his story, he he basically he was shot in the stomach at the age of sixteen. You know, so he was in his teens when the troubles broke out. Transformational moment. For yeah, it was massive. It was massive. Like he, to be honest, he had a, a certain energy maybe that suited what was happening in, in in the troubles from from a teenager's point of view. But then that on top of that, you know, him getting shot in the stomach. He, you know, there was only kind of one pathway, I suppose, he was going to end up going in life. And did he ever talk about that incident and, and what happened? He would have spoke to me a good bit about the troubles. I wasn't I supposed to understand that my dad was shot in the stomach when he was 16 and then obviously the troubles escalated even further and he he was interned then to Lonkesh uh, as a provisional IRA uh, prisoner um, and essentially then they tried to escape one of the one of his comrades got shot dead and then he was up in court in Yuri. And with with ten of the others that tried to escape, and he escaped with them, and went on the run for 30 odd years. You know, so I was heavily educated by the by the art. It was probably what I watched constantly you know, in terms of TV. I was watching BBC, UTV. They were the only two stations. Yeah. You know, that I was reading papers, the Andy Town News uh, on Republic. So I was reading the Irish News constantly, you know, and I was going up the north as a, as a young person. I'd say three or four times probably a month. Uh, maybe every second weekend I would have went up. Did he have Republican
2: leanings? Before he was sixteen, or was it was it getting shot that prompted him in, the, in I, that direction? I don't really know.
1: I don't really know the answer to that. To be honest, what I will say is that I mean, that always, always educated me on that the troubles should have not shouldn't have happened. The atrocities from both sides should have not happened. His a reason, whether you like it or not, to get involved in the troubles was essentially because of the harm the British done to him in terms of being shot but also the harm had done to his community and the nationalist community and and it wasn't it wasn't a dummy bullet or a plastic bullet
2: he thought it was that what what, what,
1: what happened to him there was writing going on there was shooting going on um, I think there was a sniper on Divis flats shooting down at the Brits and then there was a a volley shots kind of Aimed down towards where he was with some friends, he got shot in the stomach. Uh, he looked down and saw his whole stomach was hanging out. That his his friends thought he'd been shot by a rubber bullet and they were laughing. But then when they seen he was holding his stomach in, they pushed it in and a few of them grabbed him and brought him to got him to the hospital straight away. And they were operating him and he was touch and go. Yeah, so he was he was he was lucky. They were very, very lucky. lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you probably. I wouldn't have been born if yeah. they, if the Saracen came down and picked him up. Probably, I'd say they would have they would have left him to die. I'd say
2: he goes down the path of, of of joining the IRA. And what was
1: his involvement? That he would not tell me much on. Like you know, I don't know why whether it was he was proud or not proud of it. I was proud of the fact that he had a purpose in life to protect the people that he loved. The stories of what he did and what he had to do, if he told me one or two of them i, I, I he told me when I was young, like I, I can't remember most of them, like you know to be honest, and before he passed away, actually and I asked him to share some of the stories from the ages you know of sixteen and and when the troubles happened and all that sort of stuff, but he he was just too well at that stage, you know, but he was a very private person in terms of the troubles as well like if I went up the north now and people would come to me and say oh, "Look, I know your dad I was friends with him or I done time with him or whatever it is I've got this kind of inbuilt conscious kind of paranoia to you know not to say certain things or ask certain things or be disrespectful in any way and, and it was just the way I was educated you know so my dad wouldn't have been a big talker in terms of you know what happened so he wasn't into bravado of talking about his his activities no not, yeah. not really yeah. um, but there would have been certain things he would have told me and you take them with a pinch of salt because you think you have the rest of your life to spend with your dad and I suppose when he got ill and he got sick then that's when I wanted to know more and you become probably emotionally connected a bit more to the the whole story and the whole history of the North and that's just the way it works when you lose somebody you want to not really become an activist in the area but you want to know more about the the whole history of it and what happened and, and that's difficult because When I'm asking family members or friends of my dad about him, that's the difficulty I have is like, what stories are you telling me and what stories? They'll be cautious as well of what they tell me about my dad and stuff like that, you know, trying to protect him or me. You know, we just don't know. But ultimately, I think, as I said, he was very, very clear in his message about the Troubles. But he would always felt that it was never sectarianism. It was always to protect his people around what was happening in terms of the civil rights at the beginning, then the troubles.
2: There are aspects about him that are out there on on, on the public record, and, you, yeah. and you've, you've spoken about him. Did he ever tell you about about the armed robbery or... No. You know, ...in bombing and that, or, or did anybody else ever... Fill you in, or are you, you kind of? It, it's very vague, basically, yeah. it, it, because of, of of the time not all the not all the details uh, are out. The Provisional IRA right? did they, did carry out armed robberies. That was that was part of what they did to to fund uh, their activities.
1: So he, he was involved in that, but he, it's not something that he he really discussed. No, the, any of the crimes that he was involved in, he he never discussed with me. He, I suppose the only one I would have, and it wasn't even the crime. It was more so. I was I was doing a piece on it, I think it was the Irish News and they were talking to me about him being extradited up back up the north, that there was a there was a politician in, in Westminster that was actually, you know, talking about Philip McMahon not being extradited back up the north and, you know, how disappointed or, or angry they were at the Irish government for not doing that, you know. So that's in in the record. But I never really delved into the do you know, the the cause of of him being Incriminated, and because he he would have seen that he had a cause and a purpose. Uh, he wouldn't have seen himself as a criminal. He would have seen himself as you know as a volunteer of the Provisional IRA.
2: And how do you see him
1: now in that regard, as a young man? I'm somebody that believes in humanity. When we look at history and we look at the wars that we see around the world, and we see ego and greed. I think those are the people that will go down in history as people that were against humanity or that that were probably, in my eyes, people that won't be looked at as somebody that's had a positive influence in society and in life and in, in the world. And then there's people that defend those type of people. And for me, they're the people that are heroes in my eyes. So you can't look... Negatively upon somebody if they go in and try to take your home over and you defend it, you know that's the way I've seen. And for somebody like my dad, you know, to to protect his community and his people, you know, it took me a long time to realise that it wasn't just about United Ireland. You know, Marso was actually more uh, defence around, as I said, the civil rights issues and then the Brits coming in to divide the two, the two sides of the the divide. Then uh, obviously. It grew into something much more devastating to the to the people of north of Ireland and the south. Well, to the south to the extent there's, there's, there's a huge a disconnection simple, simple to the extent. south. You know, yeah. but I was proud of of, of that. I was, I was proud of him being brave enough to do that. Uh, as I said, I, I'm a believer in humanity. So some of the atrocities that potentially he was involved in, I wouldn't agree with. But these are the things that had to be done to. I suppose get to a point where we are today, where there's this peace. He led quite a dramatic
2: young life. I mean, he he's shot in the in the stomach tragically at the age of sixteen. At nineteen, he ends up in in the a very now I suppose infamous uh, uh, prison. And while he's there, then he's involved in in major events there too. Did you ever learn about? those events of, of nineteen seventy four and, and yeah. the burning of Lankesh?
1: So so the burning of Longkesh is an interesting period for me, Dad, because as you said, he's he's quite young. He's surrounded by a lot of Republicans. And in Lankesh, I think it's important to realise that it was an, it was a it used to be a British barracks and um, they had these fabricated metal tins. That's where they kind of were were all living in and and, and accommodated in and, and basically what happened was a massive riot. And I think it was the SAS. They dropped um, gas into into the compound, and this gas um, has not been used ever since. So it was. So you get CS gas, but then the CO gas. Basically, when it was dropped in, your skin it feels like it's on fire. Your eyes just constantly tearing up. Uh, you're puking up. Uh, it's it's just it's a, far more potent than, than CS
2: gas. The, the, the purpose of CS gas is to kind of almost attack your your eyes and your senses yeah. and make you
1: move away. Whereas this literally attaches to you. The issue with it is that it was a trial experiment by the British government, and it's never been used ever since. Out of all those prisoners that ex- that were exposed to that, a huge amount of them have died of cancers and respiratory illnesses and other illnesses and there's actually a group there that's you know it's on Facebook and it'll actually give you a list of a hundred possibly more now at this stage last time I checked there was a hundred odd deaths due to cancers and stuff like that so um, that was a a huge point in my dad's life because later on then in his 60s he found it hard to differentiate the pain from the cancer to the gunshot wounds that happened when he was 16. So for a lot of his life, he would have been, you know, doubled up in pain. Regardless of what medication he got off doctors over the years, he was always in bits. Like he was, The nerves in his stomach were destroyed, Like so he would always have issues and wouldn't really be a big, a big drinker in terms of alcohol, but if he had one or two points, get drunk very easily, but he'd, he'd be, be in bits for days. He was
2: also involved
1: in an escape attempt.
2: Tell us about that.
1: Which one? The the first one. The, the first in, one from prison. I think there was two attempts. I think there was one in relation to they they dressed up as the officers that were containing them, and then there was another one where they actually tried to dig a tunnel money to try escape. But essentially, when they tried to escape, one of them got shot dead. That was the that was the basis of them trying to escape because because republican prisoners they felt this is where the the minor, majority Religion in this in this uh, this island, yet there's a minority religion dictating what they did in terms of society, like civilly, like you know. So they would always it would have been always a thing of trying to escape. Uh, It was a big kind of goal to escape out of the British hands that that contained it. So for any man to escape, any republican to escape, it was you were seen as a hero. You were seen as like you're, you're a, a part of the very few that have done it or that have tried to do it you know so there's a brave piece to it bravery piece to it as well As you say
2: not, not the first not, not the last attempt there's, there's a more pivotal
1: moment then where there's a, a courthouse escape Yes which ultimately leads to him Coming going, to, on own, to, yeah. going on the run going on the run Yeah so there's, there's himself and ten, ten others that were a part of the forced escape attempt and they were up in court in Uri they basically went into the holding cells in the courthouse and one of them realised that the bars were weak and rusted basically they pulled the bars off and they rode up the rah on the mirror with soap and jumped over a big massive fence, my dad jumped off the fence and broke his ankle Um, but they got away a few of them were captured and a few of them Got away down south. He would have spent the rest of his life in the 30 odd years on the own then. How does he arrive at, to, to settle in Ballymun? He lived originally in the inner city, and at that stage, the command structures down south weren't really. Solid. They weren't set up as as much. So you had a northern group that came down from the north, but there was a Dublin brigade as well, and there was there was other factions across the the country down south. He would have went down to a safe house in Mead, you know, in That's so he kind of was in around the inner city. Other northern people that maybe had weren't actively involved in republicanism, but were actually republicans were supporting them through work and everything else. So, and and also then the people down south, particularly in working class communities, really, really supported the Republicans. You know, in Ballymone, in Cabra, uh, in the inner seat as I said, and other communities, Clondalkin and stuff like that, are heavily dominant Republican areas. You know, so yeah, he had, he landed in Ballymone, where obviously he he would have had friends that had maybe gone through the same pathway as him, and that's where he settled. In Ballymount, in the shopping centre, you would have had two pubs. One pub was called the Penthouse, where most probably criminals would have drank, and then you had the Towers, where most probably Republicans drank, and they probably never, they never really crossed over as much, you know. Well, if you were to go into the Towers pub, you'd see a big, massive mural of the 1916 uh, signatories. They were all there and, and so that was a beacon, I suppose, for Republicans to go into, you know. So, my dad was there. As I said, he he met me mom. my Mum, My mum is from uh, actually South south Dublin. Uh, she's a Southsider. So, uh, they met in Ballymone and yeah, the rest is history in terms of twenty odd years on the run there.
2: Tomorrow in the concluding episode of The Making of Philly McMahon. We hear what life was like on the run for Philly's
1: dad. Ultimately he sacrificed and all of his friends and comrades sacrificed his life but also the things that we take for granted in our everyday life he never had. He would have had to live with some of the things he did and that certainly impacted his mental health and his physical health and I'm sure the victims of the troubles likewise.
2: We also hear about his stance on the provisional IRA
1: if I came to my dad tomorrow and said I want to join the Provisional IRA, he'd be the first one to say here, no, not a chance, you know, um, from what happened and what went on. Sporting success. When you play sport, when you put that jersey on, whatever county jersey that may be, you're lifting somebody, you know, you're giving someone these emotions that can help them another day. Family tragedies. Get this man morphine, he's in terrible pain, we need to do tests on him straight away.
2: And his next move. Politics. Any interest down the line?
1: I've been asked a lot. I've been asked to go for the next general election.
2: If you've been affected by any of the topics in this podcast, just search The Irish Independent for someone to talk to. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today's episode of The Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carol and Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanrity, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE, Virgin Media, the BBC, UTV and independent.ie and if you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.
0: I saw your Be Good Baker running by again the other day, says I, to old oh, Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's Be Good Bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I, that's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. it's the whole meal, the whole grain and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fibre, whatever way you slice it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's Today's Bread Today.